Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, and this week I am joined once again. We got two weeks in a row. Pardeep Katri. How's it going, Pardeep? I'm doing well. It's been a while since I woke up at 4 a.m., so can't complain. I know. Isn't that nice? (laughs) (laughs) Quite a few days where you can just live like a normal person. I know. Uh, You love it. Yes, the Olympics are over. Um, Blessedly, perhaps. Uh, They were fast. They were furious. They were sometimes fun. And now they are over. And since the last time we recorded, we just had the medal games, the bronze medal game and the gold medal game. Uh, We'll talk. How do we want to do this? Let's actually talk gold medal game first, because we had big winners, big, big, big winners. And unfortunately, uh, some some losers as well. So Canada, like we all anticipated, right? Like we all predicted Canada won the gold medal. They won the Olympic gold in a game that had some ebbs and some flows felt like Sweden was really on the front foot there for a little bit. Uh, but Canada weathered the storm, the, the scoring in regulation, uh, Sweden went first on a goal from black and then Canada equalizes with a penalty. So second, very well taken penalty by Jesse Fleming in, in two games. First question for you party. Did you watch this game and think great match to determine a winner? Great isn't the word I'd use for it. Let's say good enough. You know, these are, I mean, I've talked about, I think I talked about this last week. Lots of people have talked about it. This is a tournament that players just have so many miles on their legs at that point. That one went to extra time. They were playing in a lot of heat. The match can only be as wild as they can be or as entertaining as it can be. And I mean, but I think both coaches did well to execute their tactical plan for the most part. And it was, I think it was as entertaining as you could expect given all of the factors going into it. So good enough. I agree. I think that, right. It's about, the answer is about as good as it could be. Right. Um, Considering where the squads are and the fact that it's a gold medal game and truly in a match like that, goal number one is not to lose and then you also maybe try to win. Um, so let's talk Canada a little bit. They won the Olympic gold without scoring a single goal <laughs> in the run of play in the knockout stages. And I think there are two ways you can look at that, right? Definitely relied on a little bit of luck. Some balls bounce a different way. I mean, I don't think margins get any slimmer than being down three or sorry, two shots in a penalty kick out and still getting the win. But also you say, well, it's intriguing for the global game that we have this, you know, Greece or Portugal performance like that we've seen in the men's euros make it all the way through. This is maybe the first time we've seen that, right? Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, I think we've, we've probably all watched a lot of international soccer this summer And one of the things that I was thinking about at some point, I don't remember which tournament it was because they all are blending together now, is that sometimes for some teams, it's just easier to win boring. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if you want to talk about the men's Euros this year, I think England was a very big example of that. Sure. Even though they have probably some really thrilling players, but we we don't have to get into that now. But, you know, they're... I think winning boring is 
obviously a personnel choice sometimes, but also you've got just so many things going against you where you've got, again, the tired legs, the heat, but sometimes it's just the best way to contain other teams. Yeah. And, you know, these people's jobs depend on results, not just style. Even though I think, you know, somebody like Bev Priestman probably could have gotten away with not winning the gold medal. But winning boring is really just, it's a thing that people do now. And I try not to be that much of a grump about it because I understand why they do it. But sure, yeah. It is definitely the first time where it wasn't just somebody who offensively just outpaced the rest of their competition right which is cool if you like a change but maybe not cool if you don't like boring (laughs) yes right exactly I would say that I mean one of my main takeaways from this entire tournament is I thought and we talked about this last week I just think we've seen some tactical um, approaches that have been a little bit more nuanced and a little bit more um, fine-tuned to the team's opponent and the team's personnel Canada is one of those we've seen what you know Sweden did as well um or even Australia the way that they kind of approached their knockout games and I think that that is a big positive because I do think we talk about sometimes coaching in the women's game and how that in and of itself is something that needs to continue to improve and I think from what we've seen from all of these coaches is something very specific and so yes do I love that you know, the team that didn't score any goals in the run of play won the gold medal. I don't know if I think that that's amazing, but I also think that when you're looking at sort of the history of, of the women's game and especially the women's global game, it's good. I think it's good to have that kind of performance win sometimes because it forces other people to step their game up. Right. Um, it's a boring. Yes. But can you say Bev Priestman did a really good job coaching Canada all the way to the end without question? Exactly. Can. Exactly. And I think that you also have to give credit where credit is due to Canada's players where yes. you, their defense was incredibly solid throughout the tournament. Um, we'll get to, you know, fav- favorite players of the tournament. I thought Ashley Lawrence had an incredible Olympics. Steph LeBay obviously was the hero of, of two penalty shootouts, the one against Brazil in the quarterfinals and the one against Sweden in the finals. And that approach doesn't work. We saw it with the U.S., right? The approach doesn't work if the individuals don't step up and execute True. it. And so I, True. I, you have to say that for Canada as well. Um, I think that's probably a storyline of this tournament too, because right. I mean, we'll get into the U.S. game in a little bit, but even though I, and I, I'll just briefly say that that, the bronze medal match looked like a bit of a rebound for the U S team. Still a lot of defensive issues there. And I think between the team that we all thought was the favorite and the team that actually ended up winning the gold and actually silver medalists in Sweden too, this tournament was really about which defenses were working and which ones weren't. I think it, think it probably, it makes sense that at the end of the day, it was Sweden and Canada uh playing for the gold medal agreed yeah no you're right this was not a defense heavy tournament in (laughs) any way shape or form a lot of optional defense and you're right that it's not shocking that the two teams that held that together the best um played for the gold medal now let's talk sweden i've seen i've seen some people say one thing i've seen some people say another thing did sweden choke Hmm. Or was this just one of those games? You know, I, I think they, I have to say that they squandered it a little bit. 
They did. They were the favorites going in, the most consistent team in this tournament. And that remains true even if they won the silver. Um, They were, they had the lead. And then they let Canada back into this game. And they let Canada back into the penalty shootout. The penalty shootout. That was the thing that surprised me the most. So I cannot imagine it's very, it was very great being, it felt nice being Sweden after that because I think it was the gold medal was theirs to lose and they lost it. Yeah. I mean, it is one of those things where, right. You say that maybe it was theirs to lose before the game, but you look at the game state a number of times, it was also theirs to lose. And you looked at it psychologically. I think that more than anything, right. Gold medal game. There's a lot mentally that goes into something like that. And I think you could see, I think part of the reason everyone was so riveted, despite the fact that it wasn't kind of an attacking superpower sort of a game is because the psychology of it was fascinating because you're right. So Sweden scores first. And I think everybody goes, yep, well, this is how this was going to go, you know? And then, right. They take the foot off the pedal a little bit. They let Canada back into it. Canada, you know, again, credit to Jesse Fleming. She's been clinical with these penalties which has carried the day um and is something you know obviously for their their team history was something that knocked them out of the world cup was was the inability to take penalties so i'm sure that they feel very proud of that when sweden failed to wrap this up even in extra time and they had their they had their chances you could tell that they were the team most distraught by the fact that the game was not over. Yeah. And yet still Canada has a couple really poor penalties. Seeger steps up to win the whole thing and she sends it over the bar. I know. Oh my gosh. It was gosh, shocking. Yeah. I felt really bad for her in that moment. I, I did too. Yes. And I yeah. still do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then Canada now has to kick to stay in it. Deanne Rose has to sink her penalty or it's game over. She does so. They go into sudden death and it's all Canada, right? Yeah, no, that was, it was really intense. It was devastating for Sweden. I just, I mean, and I think it was both. It was both Sweden squandered it. Canada took advantage of the opportunities they were given, so they deserve credit for that. But yeah, no, just I am remembering the penalty shootout again. I keep covering my eyes. Obviously, none of you can see me, but <laughs> it was, yeah, just really disappointing, I have to imagine, for them. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, that's the glory and the despair of, of penalties, right? And yeah. so eventually you have to determine a winner. They can't play forever. Um, so talking holistically before we get into the bronze medal game, big cycle for CONCACAF now. So we've got a U.S. world cup winners, right? Canada Olympic gold medalists. Interesting in the context of the Europe is catching up conversation. And I know for me, you know, I think people have fun with the rivalry between the U S and Canada. And I actually thought it was kind of funny that I don't think there was, I, I, I can't say for, from the fan base, but it seemed like from Canada after that semifinal game, they were a little bit aware that this, that it's not like they like outplayed the U S they just kind of won that game. Um, 
So I don't know exactly how heated anybody felt after that semifinal, but if the U S has to lose to Canada in that semifinal, you want them to go win the whole thing, right? Just cause it's good for the region. Um, and so it opens up other topics of conversation as well, like NWSL expansion into Canada, or should Canada have their own league, maybe a WPSL level league, because a lot of the players on this Canada team, a number of them went straight out of high school to, to teams in Europe, but many of them played in the college system in the United States. And it is interesting to look at a nation who has achieved this great thing with a good mix of leadership and youth, but they themselves don't really have an extensive program or league or any sort of professional setup to continue to develop that. So party, do you think that this should push for an NWSL team in Canada? I am of the opinion that people shouldn't get NWSL teams unless there's a good ownership group willing to put in the work of creating a successful uh, club. So if anybody in Canada was interested in doing that, then by all means, the NWSL should look into it. But I mean, really, I think the main thing is that, and this has been a thing for a long time, right? This is not us having a conversation like this for the first time, but the, the setup of women's soccer in Canada just needs to be not just different, but better, more expansive. There need to just be a lot more opportunities and places for these players to develop in their home countries. Right. You know, there's a, it just needs to be an option, right? At the end of the day, players should have the choice of going, you know, to Europe, to the NWSL, wherever they want, whatever makes sense for them. But we need to have more of these options, period. And this is probably ties into a little bit of maybe needing to revamp the system in the U S a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, college soccer. I don't know if that's really the place anymore for elite play or players who are interested in playing at the highest level. Uh, I will of- say with, with name image and likeness though, they they're not necessarily giving up as much to go to college as, as they were previously. That's true. That's true. It's just, I mean, probably they're in a better spot than they were a few years ago, which is great. But I think at the end of the day, we just need more opportunities across the board, period, to make it easier for players to find the right places for them to develop. And I mean, I we have this conversation in this region all the time, whether we're talking about women's soccer or men's soccer maybe we're just still just scratching the surface on the amount of talent we found yeah i agree um i'm I'm a little bit kinder to the u.s college system in a number of ways especially (laughs) now that players have ways to get paid but um yeah it's it's an interesting conversation i remember christine sinclair saying after the 2012 bronze after that and that like really incredible semifinal against the u.s in 2012 that that was one tipping point moment for women's soccer in canada and i think they said something like above upwards of four million people watched the gold medal match in canada uh this week and i think that you have to keep hitting these next tipping points and i'm sure that sinclair will be a part of that 
especially as she, as she moves into, you know, the last couple of years of her career. And that's maybe the final thing to end this on for Canada. I want to talk a little bit about some of the individual players and how cool it was to see them go out on this high, right? So you've got obviously Sinclair. That was the big topic of conversation. Steph LeBay though, you know, she talked about how this is her last international tournament. You imagine this is probably the last international tournament for maybe Sophie Schmidt or Aaron McLeod, just these, these players who have Desiree Scott, these players who have been with Canada for so long and have put in the work to get this team to this point and getting to go out on this high. And the one other person that I want to shout out in this context too, is Quinn who became the first openly trans athlete to win an Olympic gold medal. And I saw on Twitter, (laughs) the, the profile pictures like changing of fans, young fans with Quinn as they're on that medal stand as their profile picture. And I thought to myself, this is going to change people's, this is representation that is going to change people's lives. Absolutely. I mean, just to talk about these players trajectory as a whole, I mean, this team's trajectory going back to the previous point of some veterans who maybe won't come back. Right. I mean, it's such a classically wonderful sports story to talk about the place that this national team was when, you know, Sinclair, Schmidt, Labbe, where it was when they started to where it was probably at the end of their career. Um, It's we have been talking for a really long time in the women's game about really just by just getting to that level of competitiveness where it's not just the U.S. all the time. Yeah. And Canada has always been a national team that people have thought maybe they can be one of the, one of those teams competing for things. So to see that finally realized with not just this group of veterans who have given it their all and really just earned the respect and admiration of people everywhere. I know everybody was talking about Christine Sinclair. Um, you know, to, wa- to really watch people's reaction to that group of players succeeding and Sinclair, especially succeeding was honestly very touching yeah right like it's just a really really heartwarming sports story at the end of the day um but you know to i think you said it really well on quinn um i am really really thrilled for quinn that they were able to they were able to not just go to the olympics and compete but at the end of the day now just win the gold medal, be on this huge stage Mm -hmm. as themselves. It's, you know, there's, there's sometimes not a lot to say other than just how wonderful it is to see something like that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, I think we'll probably be able to see how their impact plays out in the future right i mean sometimes it's not there's not so much to say in the moment outside of how wonderful it is but yeah i think i think we'll be able to see it just really a great feel-good story for all of canada yeah absolutely um yeah and it goes hand in hand right because they're playing some of the best soccer of their career right now yes and it has landed them on the gold medal stand so that's canada shout out to canada good job guys a bit of a silly i'm gonna be honest kind of a funny way to do it but yeah i'm glad that they did it <laughs> yeah um, 
you know, yeah. condolences to Sweden. Played a wonderful tournament. Uh, so let's switch over to talking about some players maybe in their last Olympic game. The bronze medal match between the United States and Australia. Now, this game was fun. This Truly. one ends 4-3. Two goals from Megan Rapinoe, two goals from Carly Lloyd, and a goal apiece for Sam Kerr, Caitlin Ford, and Emily Gielnick. So this game, again, kind of silly, right? Oh, 100%. I think it's just so... Uh, it seems right that the gold medal match was very serious, great defensive uh, ta- uh, tactics from the coaches to the players, and then the bronze medal match. It's just like, defending, what's that? I just thought it was amazing. I love that dynamic. Yes, and I think that, right, you saw some of the weight be lifted off of the team a little bit, playing with a little bit more freedom. It was not, I will say this, it was not, um, quote, unquote, a better performance. I don't think, you know, I don't think that they yeah. suddenly tightened up the things that they were struggling with, but the energy was there and the desire was there. And that showed in these moments of individual quality that landed, you know, the United States four goals. Um, but we saw, like you said prior, some of the issues that got Australia three goals and a number of the goals in these games were, really just kind of horrifying defensive breakdowns that <laughs> um, not the first, I think the two Rapino goals, you know, the first one's an Olympico, right. Which is a wild way to start this game. Yeah. Uh, very funny that the U S looks miserable and can't score. And then they go to the bronze medal match and Megan Rapino scores an Olympico poor, poor defending moment from Australia. Absolutely. I think T and Micah will, see that you know with when she's got her eyes closed for uh for a while um second goal that Megan Rapinoe volley was awesome um just the strike with like the power of the universe behind it third goal Carly Lloyd that's a really nice pass from Lindsay Horan but center backs get split really easy and then the fourth goal was just a total mess from Canada Australia. Um, uh, sorry, not yeah. Sorry, we talked about Canada this whole day. You're totally right. Yeah, sorry, Australia. Um, that just goes to show how many games I've been watching. Too many. Um, yes, total defensive breakdown from Australia. But the U.S. did the same thing. Yeah. Um, Ad French could have done a lot better on Sam Kerr's goal. Uh, the Ford and the Gearnick goal, Gielnick goals were complete messes. Yeah, truly, truly. God, what a horrible performance! Just throughout the tournament for this u.s defense Just- yeah and and that's interesting to me as well because i think you can definitely i will say this that the fact that the u.s got bronze probably will reshape this as time passes where i think that in general people will be kinder to this performance because yeah. they did walk away with a medal and i think that all the same things that we talked about last week apply right they the front line was not really as dynamic as they needed to be. The midfield kind of forgot how to pass the ball. But if you look at what needs changing, you might be looking at that defense, especially what they have on the outside backs specifically. And I think that I'm not the first person to say this, right. But I think they have to let crystal Dunn walk away from that position 
after That's this time. tournament. It is time. It is past time. Not only because she's arguably being wasted, right? Because she's so good elsewhere, but because she's not an outside back. And forcing her to work that hard to play a position where she's still not at her most comfortable. It seems like we saw the issues with that in this tournament. Yeah. I mean, look, credit to Crystal Dunn for putting in her, uh, putting in the minutes there, but we've done, we've done this experiment long enough. It's, it's time. And look, I mean, this now this period in between the Olympics and the World Cup, it's going to be fun. Hopefully, well, hopefully it's going to be fun because it seems like there are a lot of opportunities to mix things up. Right. And I'm really looking forward to hopefully Crystal Dunn never playing defense again. Yeah. And again, like she, I I wouldn't ever describe her as problematic back there. No, 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 no. But at the end of the day, if you can get maybe an actual left back to play left back and let Crystal Dunn, play further forward because that's where she's best. I think that's probably just a happier marriage period all the way around. Right. Yeah. And then similarly on the right side of the field, we saw Kelly O'Hara be relied upon a lot. Uh, Emily Sonnet didn't really appear to be a legitimate option to the team. Even when the defense was struggling, she didn't really play. Um, Like you look at the difference maybe in Tierna Davidson and Emily Sonnet here where it became clear midway through the tournament that Tierna Davidson was a real option when the defense was struggling. That is a player that Black Kwandanovsky went to when Abby Dahl Kemper was having a hard time. When Kelly O'Hara was having a hard time and playing a lot of minutes, she just kept playing them. Yeah. She was still there. Still there. Right. <laughs> so I, it, it show it speaks to some of the roster imbalance. I think that they carried into this tournament and that's some of the work I think that needs to be done now is to sort of reevaluate who you really in the thick of it, you know, Ananovsky going through his first tournament, probably realizing some things about his own thought process. You got to take players that, that you can turn to and who are comfortable in those positions. And hundred percent. And I think that that is one of the big reevaluators, right? Because we saw Lindsay Horan, who I think in general, was the highest performing midfielder for the U S throughout the tournament. She had a very good game in, in the Australia game. She kind of found that kind of got that mojo back a little bit. Um, we saw what Lloyd and Rapino can do. I don't know if there are huge takeaways from that. Cause we don't know what their future holds. Right. Um, really curious about Alex Morgan. I wonder if she picked up a knock somewhere in the tournament. She didn't come in until the 81st minute of this one and then yeah. had to leave. I don't know. I think that there's something going on there. That, and that I think she was limping during the medal ceremony the day after. Yeah. So could be something there. Um, yeah. But just going back to the point about the outside backs. Yeah. It's not, ju- I think it's really interesting. It's not just that fight. uh Vlad Kononovsky couldn't feel like he could bring Emily Sonnet into a game. Or, but I feel like sort of some of these decisions were a problem he created for himself months earlier. Right. Because off the top of your head, it's not like, okay, I'm trying to think about who in the player pool 
could exist to maybe replace someone like Kelly O'Hara down the road. Right. But I don't think he ever really came up with true backups to Kelly. Well, I guess Sonnet was there, but if Sonnet wasn't reliable, is she a true backup? Right. Um, if nobody's playing, replacing Crystal Dunn, really, does she have a true backup? And right. I understand that they had a smaller squad, but at the end of the day, they kind of didn't. Right. They had 22 because, players. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, and you would think something like versatility is key on a roster like this. Anyway, I just feel like some of the roster decisions were decisions he made months ago that he got wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, I, and, and I was struck. I'll be honest. I did not watch this game live, but I did stay up to find out who was starting. So I went to bed right after they dropped the starting 11. <laughs> and I was struck by the fact that he rostered the original 18 in that game. Yeah. And I, I, maybe it was because it was the middle of the night that I had a feeling about that, but I did think, wow, he told his 18 to go win this game and win it. They did, but (laughs) it wasn't perfect. Um, Let's talk Australia a little bit though. I think they, even though they did not make the medal stand, they wildly over exceeded expectations and gave themselves some great momentum going into being hosts in 2023. Yeah, I mean, again, we were talking about this with Canada. We've for a long time been looking at which national teams can really hit a certain level, be the contenders in a tournament to win the whole thing. Australia has been a name for a long time, but I don't think until this tournament do they actually, I don't think this is probably the the deepest run they've made in a tournament, right? It a major is, tournament. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they're finally sort of, they're finally living up to that potential that we've all seen from them. And I thought, I thought they played pretty well in a weird game. Honestly, uh, if you know, my, my takeaway was Ellie Carpenter really hurt her team when she got herself suspended for this game. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. She had a great tournament before that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and some of the issues that you saw in Australia's defense, they would not have been there if she, if she had, had been available. Yeah. I think that Australia's issue like anybody else's will just be the pipeline. They need a better defense. They really, really do. Are the players there and can Tony Gustafson get them there by 2023, I think is the biggest issue because obviously the attack is there. I thought Sam Kerr had a great tournament. It's the best tournament. It's the best international tournament she's ever had. Absolutely. Um, so lots of positives for Australia. Um, maybe a good place to end this is with the the U.S. goal scorers, Megan Rapinoe and Carly Lloyd. This was not, this tournament as a whole, was not a shining moment for them. And they would admit that, I'm sure. But they got a little bit of a feel-good story. You know, Megan Rapinoe hasn't really said anything about her future. I think that for a number of players, the fact that the World Cup is only two years away is really tempting. <laughs> but reasonably, this is probably the the last we've seen of Megan Rapinoe and Carly Lloyd on the Olympic stage. Did you think it was nice that they were able to acquit themselves here? I mean, I'm happy for them. I yeah. they the I remember noticing this more so on Carly Lloyd's face and Megan Rapinoe's, but they both, I felt like when they scored, just celebrated with this immense sense of relief. Yeah. Uh, not just were they able to sort of 
course correct about tournament for them individually and also collectively in attack. But I, I don't know what those two will decide. I mean, but if this is the finale for them on the biggest stages with the USWNT, I ha- that was a pretty good way to cap things off. You know, I, you I, you made a really good point earlier about how people will probably be more forgiving of this tournament and of this performance as time goes on. I think that'll be the case for these two as well. And yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, their legacy probably shouldn't be defined by this tournament anyway. They've accomplished a lot. And now on top of that, they're playing in the uh, in the back end of their career. So it's hard to really sort of define somebody's legacy by the last few years of their career instead of, right. you know, the most of the body of the work. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a really classic feel-good story. And, oh, hey, look at these people who have done so much for the national team and have really built these really well-respected careers to go off on a really nice note. Yep. And with really great goals from Rapino, especially. Yeah, I mean, we'll dangerous. we'll get into we'll get into superlatives in a second. But that Pino volley was my goal of the tournament. I loved that. I loved that goal. Um, yes. So my one final thought, and actually, we'll we'll get into this when we talk about. We're going to just go through a couple of you know who are golden ball, best newcomer, biggest surprise, that sort of stuff. But in that conversation about Concacaf, or even. Australia there was discussion before this tournament started as there will be probably till the end of time where the Olympics fit in the grand scheme of international tournaments and women's soccer because it's a youth tournament for the men right kind of we even saw on the men's side this year those players that that were brought in the older players that were brought in this meant a lot to them and and these games mean a lot to the women as well and three out of the four metal metal game teams and two out of the three meddling teams were not from Europe. And it is just a reality that these other regions at this moment do not have a Euro style competition. And this is their opportunity in addition to the world cup to show what they can do on the world stage. And so I think there were a lot of good points made about why this tournament isn't great. It's too short. The rosters are too small. Qualifying for it is a bit weird and varies too much by region. Um, All of those sorts of things. Perhaps it shouldn't be so significant for soccer enveloped in this whole big, larger thing. But this was a showcase for the non-Euro teams. And I think there has to be something to be said for that too, right? Absolutely. I mean, I, I always try to judge the Olympics based on how much the players care about it because it, it, and if it means, if it means a lot to them, then I'm really not going to get in the way of that. And it clearly does. And it clearly, I mean, at the end of the day, it's the Olympics that mean a lot, period. So the opportunity to win any sort of medal is obviously going to be an exciting development, but you're right. It's a it's an opportunity outside of the World Cup for teams outside of Europe to really showcase themselves, to continue building big game experience, and then at the end also to just entertain us. Right. So 
sometimes, you know, the factors of this tournament do get in the way of the entertainment value, but right now, I don't know if, I don't know if we can credibly replace the Olympics. It might take something very creative to do so. And that might be interesting. And if somebody's got a cool idea, obviously I'm willing to hear it. Not that you have to run it by me or anything, obviously not (laughs) FIFA, (laughs) but I don't think we have a credible replacement for it right now. And so in the meantime, I think we do have to treat it very seriously, even though it comes on like a really harsh timeline, almost the, the way, like the balance of the four year cycle is pretty strange. And maybe that's something that FIFA and maybe the global game just has to address because it's kind of weird. Yeah. And I, and I do say, I do want to say, as I was saying that the Olympics were a showcase for the non-Euro teams, I think if there is a future where things are a little bit more balanced, you have to look at what Europe is doing. So they have a pretty nicely balanced European qualifying standard where it's not just like a weird tournament, a two, you know, two week tournament in Texas or whatever. Um, They do home and aways, which allows these smaller nations to really get a foothold in. And that's why you see some surprises in European qualifying. Sometimes the qualifying is constant. That's why they do Olympic qualifying the way that they do is because they have a very extensive um, international window schedule that, that we don't see in other parts of the world. The U S definitely fills their own calendar, but that's up to the Federation rather than the Confederation and the euros with every passing tournament are only going to get more and more prestigious on the women's side. And so this has to be, I don't think this is going to happen to be completely honest, but you would think that this cycle would be a wake up call to CONCACAF or even Cognable to put something together that runs concurrently to the euros. Oh, that would be fun. They, I just think it's necessary. They really should. Yeah. No, at a certain point, I mean, we're, we're sitting in this place where probably just so many things need to be <laughs> reconsidered. Again, we're talking about that weird schedule imbalance that because in a normal cycle, not a pandemic cycle, you're, if you're a team in CONCACAF, you're going from the World Cup, the Olympics, and then years off. Yeah. That's just weird. Yeah. And you, you can manage the ba- imbalance if you need to, but what if you don't have to manage that imbalance? I think probably, right, like, and I like your idea of maybe not just a CONCACAF-specific tournament, but maybe expanding that to a CONCACAF and CONMOBOL joint tournament. I think like, that would be a that banger. Would be, that would be yeah. fun. It would just be fun. And sure, the first couple of editions might be... And invite Japan and Australia for fun. Right. I mean, yeah. like basically like men's Copa America style almost. Right. Or uh, where, or like the Copa America Centenario, where they just right, invited where they just, everybody. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, basically, just make some really interesting rest of the world tournament. It yeah. doesn't matter what label you slap on it. You know, just go, just make it, just make it interesting. Why not? Yeah. It, we, I was just saying, something creative might need to happen to make things a little bit more interesting. And that's probably, I mean, or make it a more, ba- more, more balanced. Excuse me. And that's pro- that. That's a good idea, I think. Yeah, and I think that right, and the what you can do, like I said is once you've got that established, you can also establish qualifying for it and make sure that that qualifying is fair and make sure the U.S. goes to 
Mexico or, you know, they, where they go to these other nations to have to qualify for these things. And then those nations get to participate and that is good programming for them. So it just, it yeah. would be really good for the region. I don't know. This is like my, my thing that's been in the back of my brain for a very long time. And it might be fun for the U S to go and play in different places. Exactly. It will probably help them with, I mean, it'll build some type of experience for them for sure. Yes, I agree. Yeah. I think that the, the future cannot be individual teams chasing the european style of scheduling it has to be a group effort and that would be better for everybody um okay so this is gonna we're just really we're just chatting um let's do some superlatives let's talk about the some individual performances or some team performances that we really loved in this year's olympics um pardeep who is your golden ball winner who is your player of the tournament Hmm. after careful consideration you actually mentioned her name already Ashley Lawrence. Yeah. This, I, I, I kind of like to give that uh, award to the, to the team that, uh, to a player on the team that ended up winning the whole thing. But like I mentioned, this tournament was really all about being defensively solid. And I think the player who embodied that over to me, anybody else was Ashley Lawrence. I think she's the reason why, even though Canada, didn't score an open play throughout mm-hmm. the entire knockout stage. Right. If you're going to put it on one player, and obviously it wasn't just her, but if you're going to put it on one player, she is key to why they made it through each of those matches. She's key to why they won the gold. I thought she had just a brilliant tournament. Yep. Agreed. Yep. She was on my list. I think you could probably look at um, Aslani as well for, yep. for Sweden. She was on mine too. Yeah. Um, especially in the, the, first half maybe of the tournament she was definitely someone who was basically un unstoppable in in her role and i i loved her role in this in this tournament it was so clear it was so crystal clear what she was doing <clears throat> and uh yeah honestly just again my heart goes out to her she was very upset at the end of that game um all right so best newcomer who was the player in their first olympics that you said wow they were ready for this is it a cop-out to say Vivian Mietema? No, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, she's obviously the golden boot winner. Right. Um, no, she was amazing. Right, because I actually didn't realize that it was her first. I was like, I had an idea that it was her first Olympics, but I had to go back and check. I thought, look, the, the group stage was, for the Netherlands, a little bit a little bit it was easier than probably most other people's journey to the knockout rounds but really i was very impressed with her ability to uh, get into the game against the u.s um i think that's just a really really classic thing that if you're a great uh striker that's what you want to be able to do is to just be a part of games Yeah, yeah right and, and so and I it's thought, not easy to do that sometimes. Yeah. No. And against, look, I know the U.S. was struggling in Japan, but not so much to the point where you're like, okay, Vivian Miedema just showing up in that game is not that impressive. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think, right, yeah. we, we talk all the time about um, strikers who kind of live and die by the service that they're getting. And we've seen that not on this tournament so much, but we've seen issues, we've seen criticisms of Miedema or Sam Kerr, or Alex Morgan, or any sort of a striker that has issues getting themselves, working themselves into a game. And you're right that it's not like the U.S. midfield really, um, you know, wrapped themselves in glory, but Miedema got herself into that game. 
Um, I also want to shout out Barbara Banda. I was, she's my honorable mention. Yeah. She showed up in a big way and it's probably, you know, it's, it's tough. We, we can't watch the Chinese league here. We don't really have the ability to see her play for her club team, but talk about a player that was given a larger platform and grabbed it. Um, exceptional performance from her. I very selfishly would love for her to move to a league where we could watch her more regularly. Me too. Me Um, too. I actually do hope that this, that, that demonstration, that performance in Japan does lift her somewhere. Yeah. I would love to be able to watch her some more. She gets paid really well to play in China. That's the only thing. Yeah. Good for, good for you, Barbara. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I, I tipped mine already. Do you have a favorite goal of the tournament? I will pick the other Rapino goal that day. Yeah. Soft spot because it actually woke me up that morning. Mm-hmm. But uh, an Olympico at the Olympics. I don't know. You don't see There's a lot something of, a little bit magical about that. Yeah. yeah. And you know, you just generally don't see a lot of Olympicos. So I'm always going to vote for the goal that I don't see very often. Yeah. It was, it was, stu- it was remarkable. Well done, Megan Rapino. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So the I other think that, goal was also great. Yeah. I think that, right. You know, the, the Lloyd goals were fine, but those two Rapino goals were a little bit just yeah. like, damn, I'm going to miss this player when she's gone, you know? 100%. Um, biggest surprise? Um, I think the biggest surprise has to be the way the U.S. showed up. Fair. I was going to say, I was wondering if you were going to do a positive one or a negative oh, one. Oh, yeah. no, no. Because yeah. I think there, there are... If you ask somebody before the tournament... Okay, the US, if you told them, okay, the U.S. is going to get bronze, there's probably a really realistic way in which that happens. And yeah, you and you go, right, you go, oh, I understand. It's hard to, hard to win them all, you know, yeah. bronze is pretty good, right? Yeah, exactly. And to be fair, maybe you could tell somebody before the tournament, Canada gold, Sweden silver, U.S. bronze, and you're like, okay, maybe a little bit surprising, but I could see how that shakes out, you know, right. every, it, it's a tournament, these things happen, but I think really it was the way the U.S. performed really the entire time, mm-hmm. and, you know, defensively, like I said it earlier, I thought they were just, I thought it was some of the worst, I, I was surprised at how bad that defending was, just across the board from them, Yeah. so that will be my biggest surprise, I think everything else I, don't know, I think everything else sort of checks out, even if you might be a little bit surprised. Okay. Canada winning the gold. I don't know. I think it all checks out. Yeah. I mean, my, my other one, you know, kind of bouncing off of the, the, the band of conversation is I do think Zambia did great. Yes. I think that they, you know, they were, they were outmatched for sure, but the, those goals, some of them, some of them were sort of individual pickpocket performances, but really nice offensive sequences by them. That's true. That's a team I would love to see in in this tournament again. You know, building off of building invite off of them experience. to the uh, to the Kaka yes, they're invited. They're, they're invited. invited. Yes, we're they're just invited. adding teams. They're invited to to Pardeep and Claire's big soccer tournament. Uh, FIFA, you can take this idea anytime. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anytime. Um, all right. So last last one, and I this is this is my personal personal favorite question because we saw a number of these. What was your favorite performance in a losing effort? Ooh, that is a the nominees are <laughs> Ellen White's hat trick for Great Britain or um, let's see, Barbara saving Christine Sinclair's penalty kick in that PK shootout that, that, oh, that was a good one. Yeah. 
Vivian Miedema in their game yeah. against the United States. Um, Sam Kerr's performance against um, Sweden. Ooh. Great contenders. Great contenders. I'll go with, I will go with Miedema. I think she, she changed the dynamic of that game completely because of the way she showed up. Um, she doesn't do that. This game isn't going to penalties. I'm sure she isn't breaking. Uh, she isn't, you know, missing that penalty and being heartbroken. But she, but she set up a game that was a little bit tougher than it could have been if she doesn't do that. Yeah, I agree. Um, my mine is Ellen White. Mine is that hat trick. I can't. We'll never be over that. I don't think. Honestly, imagine scoring that. a hat trick and then your team's still losing. That kind of. Although Barbara Banda did that. She did. That's true. I know we had a couple of hat tricks and losing yeah. efforts. Yeah. Yeah, no, all I'm saying Defense is Defense optional. Yeah. That was the key to this whole tournament. Yes. Um, all right, so if I don't think that dive gets much deeper. The Olympics, we barely knew you. Happy you were here. Glad to see you gone. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you in France in 2024, hopefully. Uh, congratulations to Canada, to Sweden, and to the United States. You did it. And then, honestly, it seemed like the greatest gift of all. They all got to go home (laughs) (laughs) after 40 days in quarantine together. So hopefully we never have to do anything quite like that again. Um, Here's to more normal circumstances in the future. And this has been an extensive part one of the Equalizer podcast. We will do our best to run through NWSL action as efficiently as possible in part two. Welcome back to part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins. This week, I am joined by Party Catry. It's NWSL time. I will say the thing I say at the top of part two every single week. Please give us a rating and a review. It helps people find us, especially as we move out of Olympic coverage and into league coverage, which, as we all know, could always use more ears, more eyes, all that sort of good stuff. So another full NWSL slate this weekend. Um, some really inner, you know, the plot thickens as always. So let's just kind of, we're going to run through this relatively quickly. There'll be more time for, for deeper NWSL analysis as, as the weeks progress, but let's start. Like, we're just going to do these in the order in which they were played. Gotham hosted North Carolina. This was a one zero win for, for the courage off of a spec goal, which was probably offside if we're being honest yeah um gotham has to feel unlucky with this one right yeah yeah this match i thought played out pretty even um if there's one probably thing to say about gotham i think they were really missing midge purse Mm. um right it seems like with with monahan out with purse out with their meddling internationals out just one absence too many yeah they were doing fine before that but yeah yeah. but i mean i i lloyd will be back i don't know you know that should help mvn hopefully will uh yeah yeah so yeah so uh, they'll have those options yeah agreed i like yeah sorry go ahead sorry no and mcdonald on the other side coming back for courage yes helps them out i think it's basically a game of okay Gotham were missing maybe too many players and courage had brought back just enough to make enough of an impact. Cause yeah. McDonald was pretty essential on the possibly offside goal. Agreed. Yeah, no, no, that was mostly her effort that, that spec got the rebound on after, after the initial save. Um, yeah, I agree. I think that 
North Carolina getting Jessica McDonald back was a boost for sure. I liked the midfield battle in this game. I thought that there was a lot of the thing that I liked about both of these teams. And you see this with a number of teams who do well in this league is their, their midfields are given very intentional um, instruction specifically on intercepting passing lanes. And sometimes it can nullify a game a little bit, but I enjoyed watching both Gotham and North Carolina trying to kind of intercept passing lanes from the other team and then distribute out on their own. And that was more in the first half than the second half. Um, The one other piece of news that I do want to bring up for Gotham this week is that they did announce that they have hired Yael Averbush West as their interim general manager. She's being assisted by former Utah Royals general manager, Stephanie Lee. I do think this is legitimately a temporary thing just to kind of get the team through this season um, after Elise LeHue was let go. Um, You know, I think that they're just trying to keep, they've got a good thing going at at Gotham right now. And I think they're just trying to make sure that nothing bad happens from now until the rest of the season. Yeah. Nothing falls off the wheels. Exactly. And I think those are the right people to do it. Um, In very interested. I'm intrigued a little bit more by Stephanie, Stephanie Lee coming in. Um, as the assistant GM exactly right so we'll see exactly if she stays on a little bit longer I'm interested by the fact that she is working her way back into NWSL after obviously um, having her team (laughs) fold um, underneath her and yeah we'll just kind of see what happens but it is worth it is worth noting that Elise LeHue before she got the job was also interim so that's true yeah this could that could shake out that way again yeah, I mean, we have a number of we have a number of interims in in the league right now. Some of which are being relieved immediately, right? Like this was Sam Lady's last game weekend. Laura Harvey has come back from Japan to take over the reign, but Becky Burley is in in an in interim position right now. And actually, we don't know what that's going to turn into. It's possible this is more of just kind of like a trial run for both parties, and they'll sort of see what happens. So yeah, disappointing for Gotham. Close game. Good win for North Carolina that could have used the points. Um, and especially because they will be looking to improve once they get their internationals back or more of their internationals back, I should say. So the next game of the weekend was Washington hosting Portland at Segra field. Another one, nothing match, uh, a goal by Simone Charlie assisted by none other than the teen Olivia Moultrie. Yeah. The kid did it. The kid did it. She had a pretty good first half. I got to say she only played 45 minutes, but those 45 minutes were very active. Um, The Segra field part is significant though, as well, I think. Um, Well, just to go back to Moultrie, I I think this, I was about to say the spirit, the thorns are doing a good job of really managing her minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, the uh, really the first things I was looking for when she made her debut a couple weeks ago is can does she look out of her depth? She clearly doesn't. Right. But you know, like I said, they're managing her minutes and she's doing really well. This is honestly, it's pretty cool to see. It's pretty cool to see. She did re- nice, nice assist. Very nice assist and and very nicely, nicely uh, taken by by Charlie as well. Um, and but then, you were saying about Segra Field. Yes. Yeah, so I was saying about Segra Field. So as this game played out. Uh, Portland was defending kind of a slim lead. Segrafield is some of the slowest turf 
I've ever seen. It feels like both teams are playing in quicksand. And the unfortunate thing about it for the spirit is it really does not seem like they're getting a ton of home field advantage out of this uh, partnership with, with Segra. You have to think that they look at simply the results on this field and probably what's going to continue into the rest of the season and say, we can't play on this field anymore. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't find Segra field to be a great venue overall. Just be, I mean, I haven't been personally, but I understand why maybe I, I understand it as a temporary home. I can't imagine any, uh, neither the spirit nor the NWSL wants them to be there full time, but Really, you don't expect comp- uh, a a field to get in the way that much of a team's ability to play their style and then win games. And they, I can't imagine that they're going to want to stay there uh, uh, much longer. I don't know how they get out of there successfully because, look, Audi Field is right there, but I also don't know how available that is at the same time. Right. But it really, it, it, I don't think that's working out there for the spirit at all. It is kind of, it is kind of funny to have such a mismatch between the playing surface and, like you said, the style of play of a team. And they don't think it's in their best interest to radically alter it based on the playing surface because you have to get that consistency with your style. But it's, it's tough. And, but I also want to talk about Portland a little bit because. We are going to start seeing Canadians and Americans work their way back in, but the Thorns haven't lost a game since the end of June. They have been very steady and very solid throughout this period. And I think for me, that is what Mark Parsons brings to a team as a coach is yes, I think he does a nice job managing personalities on on the top line. And obviously Portland is a destination for a lot of top talent. But the Mark Parsons special, the magnum opus of that coach, is what the team does when those players are gone. And I want to kind of highlight that. Like you looked at that Kristen Westfall block at the beginning of the match on Trinity Rodman. And that kind of commitment to defense, to full team defense. And they, they had to do that because they were managing this slim lead for so long is that is a well-coached team that is bought in. And that's why I'm looking at the table right now. And I'm like, I just don't know who takes Portland down. Right. I mean, it's really such a coaching feat. What Mark Parsons has accomplished because it's not just that I think it's also just really great roster building on top yes. of that. You look at because, who the team was in 2019 to now. Yeah. Right. Because they don't just have depth, but they have perfectly suited depth. And that's obviously really good scouting, but it's also really, really good coaching. I don't, I, I think, I mean, we've, we talked about this at the beginning of the season too, who takes down Portland. Sure. They've lost games or was it, is it just the one game? I think they lost two. Oh, two. Okay. So, you know, credit to those teams for that. But this, this Olympic period was a big test of all of the NWSL teams. And they all, I think, hit at least a little bit of a stumbling block, if not a, if not big ones for all of them. 
except for the thorns. And I think if you pass that test and they passed it with flying colors, then they are just going to be really, really, really hard to maybe to not just beat on any given day, but really over the course of an entire season. For sure. Yeah. I don't think Portland is unbeatable. But I do think that I, I just think they're going to win the shield. I think yeah. I just don't think that they're going to drop enough results to let go. They've got, I think, a six point cushion right now. I don't know if that's going away. Right. And uh, now they're going to get some of those players that were out at the Olympics back. Exactly. Good luck, uh, everyone else. Yes. Good luck to everyone else. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. I, I just think that's it. Right. And I think that it's it's funny a little bit where people are saying, you know, look at what an amazing job Kelly Hubley has done and and look at what you're seeing right from like Kristen Westfall or the way that Angela Salem has been playing for them or Marissa Everett has been playing for them. Or even again, Olivia Moultrie came in and looks like she knows what she's doing. It's yeah, it's a bought in team. Some of those players were not as good two or three years ago as they are now, which is a credit to the coaching and to the players themselves. And yeah, I was just, I was just very impressed by Portland this week. I, yeah, same. I got a chance to really sit down and watch that game. And I thought, wow, that is, that's a cool thing that this team is doing. Um, Washington is probably seeing a little bit of adversity right now. And we'll see kind of how they adapt to that. They are a team that to find their quality, it's going to be with this group. I don't think that you say Emily Sonnet and Kelly O'Hara are going to radically change um, the way the team plays. They will learn from this and get better. I just, again, I think the field issue is a big one. And I think that they were unfortunate to drop the result in Chicago last week. And so that turns into a little bit of a skid. Um, So we'll see. We'll see how they respond. So the next game. Now, this one is a little bit of a ha and a wow. (laughs) O.L. Rain (laughs) beat the Houston Dash five to one. All of those goals scored in the first half. Bethany Balser had a brace. Bethany Balser brace. Be cubed. Uh, Sofia Huerta had a goal. Eugenie Samer had a goal. Jess Fishlock had a hell of a goal. And the one Houston strike was actually tallied again as an own goal <laughs> by Alana Cook. <laughs> own yeah, goal, really. The weekend without an own goal. Own, um, own goal is the star of the NWSL this season. Absolutely. In my notes, I just have written, what? What <laughs> happened? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, the rain were just completely dominant, especially in that first half. The game slowed down a little bit in the second half. But what are you going to do when you're already up 5-1 in the first half? Um, yeah, the the attacking group from the rain were just... They were, they were just playing out of their minds, maybe. I don't know. And then on top of that, you get a combination of the Houston defense. They were just not showing up on Saturday. Yeah. It's like it, it it was like a perfect storm almost and yeah that happened it, that's what happens right exactly the way you get to 5-1 is a mixture of one team playing really well and one p- team playing pretty poorly um yeah i mean it it builds off of some of the conversations we've been having about the rain which is that they've had these players who have been performing this whole time bethany balser is having an excellent season um sofia huerta had a good challenge cup and then sort of is finding her way back in but now, and Jess Fishlock has been has been exceptional for them throughout this whole period as well. But now you're starting to see Marajan and Lesa Mare really begin to work their way in. They're going to be adding 
probably Megan Rapino. They're definitely going to be adding Rose Lavelle in. And it's kind of scary what, what Ola Rain, what Ola Rain is building. And I think that you also have to look at their defense and look at like Sam Hyatt for, for the rain and her bringing some stability next to, next to cook and very different energy from the rain right now. They're really surging. Yeah. Yeah, Three game winning streak, nine points in three games. It's right. Everything looks like it's clicking now, which honestly, uh, it makes it, it makes them a really exciting team to watch. Yeah. And I also think, and I don't know, this is just, I'm curious. We've seen a couple of times teams, travel to the Cascadia region, whether it's Tacoma or Portland and just look off. I don't know if it's the travel or what, you know, like I said, all rain played fantastically. So that can also set a team on their heels, but this is just one for Houston to forget. Yeah. I don't even know if there's anything to learn from this game. It was yeah, really bad. Just don't do that again. <laughs> right. Just do better next time. <laughs> right. And, and they need, they need their medalist back. They just really yeah. need their medalist back. They need Christy Mewis back. They need Sophie Schmidt back. They need Alicia Chapman back. They need those players. Um, so yeah, OL Rain saying a little bit like, don't count us out so soon here. Also seems like they learned some things from that Chicago game. They were really disappointed in their performance in that Chicago game a couple weeks ago. And yeah. it seems like that was kind of a unifying agent for them, I think. Um, yeah. And now Laura Hart and now the Laura Harvey era begins. So we will see definitely sets up an exciting, probably game between them and Portland in the second Ooh, of the Cascadia. Yeah. Games. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, well done fun. by the, well done by the rain. Definitely making a statement. So we have the two Sunday games. Oh boy. So <laughs> the first, the first game on Sunday was Louisville hosting Kansas city. Louisville wins this three to one on goals from Ebony Salmon, Nadia Nadim, and Chana Williams. Darian Jenkins did get one back. Props to Louisville. Um, their attack is very exciting. I think that, you know, we, we saw Nadim get involved a lot more. Ebony Salmon continues a very good season. Savannah McCaskill was very active throughout this match. All good stuff. Really good stuff from Louisville. I think we can just say that they, the positives that they have are absolutely big positives for them. Kansas City hasn't won in 13 games. I know. And I will say that their new acquisitions, so Haley Mace, Kristen Hamilton, we're very active. You look at their attacking stats, not bad. But they kind of let Louisville do whatever they wanted. Yeah. It's this is this is it's not like they can't be in games. They are in games. They always there are long stretches of most of the games they play where it's like, okay, they could they could do something here. They had like nine shots on target against Louisville or something like that. So, you know, it's not like they're ever really, or for a while, they're not really out of games, but I don't know. I, I would describe this match, Louisville versus Kansas City, as the, you know, a 
battle between the two worst teams in the league. I'm not saying you know they're necessarily bad or whatever, but they're they're the they're the they're the two teams at the bottom. Whatever. Sure. So but so that's really probably the perfect place for Kansas City to maybe finally get that first win on the board. And you know, fine. They lose the game. Okay. But I really Going forward, they were fine, but go. But everything else was pretty sloppy. Yeah, like you said, they let Louisville do whatever they wanted. They defensively were not impressive to me at all. Especially, I mean, the the third goal was really a mess. Yeah, I thought. I thought you know, to kudos to the rookie. I thought Kiki Pickett had a decent game. She's someone that they should be. They should just give as many minutes as they possibly can to at this point. Their central defense. I don't really know what's going on there. Um, and yeah. those, you know, Rachel Corsi is a veteran in this league and it's, it's not really working. Yeah. I think that I, I will admit that I, I was at the Chicago game. So I only saw the highlights of this one. Um, and like I said, I, I don't want to like discount what Louisville did because I think they had a very good game. And I think that one of the best things about Louisville throughout this season is that they do take these opportunities and they've gotten some really nice wins. And I think that that's great. Um, I was a little bit dismayed by how not close this one was though. Yeah. I think same. I would like Kansas city to, to be in it more than they are. Um, so that's my, that's my takeaway. <laughs> that's my yeah. takeaway from that one. I, right. I mean, there was a reason we don't really rail on Louisville the same way It's like, fine. Okay. There's some first year bumps that are clearly, right. not, they're probably not a playoff contender, but they stay in games and sometimes they get those results too. And it's yeah, not and, just and against a team like Kansas city. They've right. gotten really great results over the course of this season, right? which, you know, credit to them for that. But yeah. Kansas city can't, this was their opportunity, I think. And they kind of just, they, I don't think they met the moment at all. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. That's, that's kind of a good way to put it, which is that Louisville seems very mentally ready for these moments and they've got, again, their attack, you look at the talent that they have in their attack, it's, it's exceptional. You know, McCaskill, Nadim, Salmon, Nagasato, really nice. Um, yeah, and with Kansas City, it's just not there. And I don't know. I don't know what you do. You're, you're about halfway through your season, and you're in some danger of just kind of really falling off a cliff. So final game of the weekend, this one I was at, um, Chicago hosted Orlando. First win of the Becky Burley era for the Orlando Pride. Orlando wins this two to nothing off of two very nice goals. Honestly, very good goal by Jody Taylor. Uh, exceptional ball over the top by Allie Krieger. Beautiful long ball. And then Sydney LaRue kind of wraps it up with, with a bow at the very end as Chicago sort of pushed for the equalizer. Kind of a classic, you know, Chicago pushes, they get stretched. Sydney LaRue gets in behind. Very nice goal. Um, that's not going to be the takeaway from this game, though. Unfortunately, two of Chicago's midfielders left the match injured in this game due to contact. And I'm actually going to, I'm going to say this. I don't know how interested I am in talking about the referees because it's boring at this point. Right. Um, but I will just say this, which is the, when you get into that gray area of a couple really bad tackles by a team, it is indicative of 
that play not being disciplined, right? And so I think that just where where I'm at with it, and this has always kind of been where I'm at with it, is that I actually I don't blame a team in any way for taking every inch that they are given, right? That's competitive edge. That's fire. That's, you know, putting to just doing everything you possibly can to win the game. But that's why you have referees. Yes. And so where the where the NWSL is right now is that they're letting the players dictate the physicality and you can't do that because yeah. they will and I'm not saying they're I'm not at for one second saying that the pride were trying to hurt anybody, but they're going to do whatever they can to win the game. And that's understandable. Yeah, no, I mean, it's like you say, that's the reason referees exist. The NWSL has a lot on its plate. I mean, it's a really young league and it shows that a lot of the time, It is, but it is what it is. At this point, though, I think this probably needs to just be a priority because I think, you know, the product on the field just has to be the it just has to be a priority for the things maybe you need to fix or just improve. I don't think it's a great thing if once a week or maybe even every other week, different people watching this league are talking about the referee and whether and that's not good if you're somebody that watches the league regularly. And that's not good if that's, if you're somebody who checks into the, if you watch it every now and again. It's really bad for the global perception of the league that it is getting this reputation of it's like where players go to die, you know, <laughs> like yeah. that's not good. Uh, it, it, it makes people not want to play here. It affects things competitively, though. I, I want to be clear. I don't think that those fouls for one second affected the result of this game. I think Orlando played very well. Um, and we got a little bit of the Chicago Red Stars experience where they had a defensive slip up. They couldn't score on the other end. This none of that is new, and it was a good win by Orlando, but it was very physical in the second half, and it wasn't just actually those two tackles. Amy Turner had a number of tackles on Mallory Pugh, one of which one of which she got a stern talking to about. The second time she did it, she got a yellow card, and then the third time it happened, she got another stern talking to. And there is an unwillingness to send people off, or people get sent off for weird things, <laughs> and and. Yeah. It's tough because you talk about setting a precedent. If you don't send players off for the initial hard tackles, then the players are their teammates are going to keep playing that way. And that's how we ended up in the situation we were in later in the second half. Um, These are all fixable problems. Right. Right. That that's really like the, that's probably the encouraging thing about it, but that's probably the most frustrating thing about it is that, you can very successfully have a league where the referees at the very least aren't make uh, they're not letting games get out of control right. this frequently, or they're not, you know, finding really weird ways to give out yellow cards or red cards. Right. Well, that isn't that the funny thing too, right? Is you, there's a conversation about the economics of it, right? About how the NWSL probably doesn't pay enough for PRO to, for pro refs to um, prioritize the league. All of that's true. Big systemic issue. But what is stopping these refs from giving out cards? (laughs) You know, (laughs) 
that's the thing. I'm just like, I don't think that the amount they're getting paid affects their ability to give out cards. One it? would hope. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That's a great question. <laughs> and, and it's also, I feel bad for Orlando too, because this was a good win for them. This is like good vibes, right? They, they've stopped the losing streak. They have this new coach that they're rallying around. Sydney LaRue is having an incredible year. Ashlyn Harris was very good in this game again. Allie Krieger was Allie Krieger, yeah. Yeah, really nice performances. And we're talking about the refs. Yeah, just, again, this isn't a good, this isn't a good look for anybody if yeah. we're talking about the refs. Not, it's not great. It's really, there. nobody benefits from a fixable problem. Yeah, agree. I guess maybe we could stop talking about the refs, but then that also feels like a failure too. So yeah. <laughs> we're in a tough spot. Um, yeah. But yeah, so anyway, you know, it was, it was a good win for the Pride and a much needed three points and still just indicative of some of Chicago's limitations, which has really managed, I think, expectations for them this year. Um, so we'll see. Still very muddy in the table, right? Chicago lost yeah. this week. Washington lost this week. OL Rain won big, but that was just on, you know, good for their goal differential, but still just another three points. Houston lost big, but that doesn't mean that they aren't going to be able to turn it around once they get some players back. Yeah, I think that one was just a little bit of a fluky game. Yeah. Fun game, but fluky. Yes, exactly. And so we'll just really have to see. I think that I'm excited for some clarity once we get some of these Olympic medalists back, because we've sort of been treading water a little bit as these who knows how much clarity we're going to get. These teams feel closer to each other than they have in the past. Yeah. It'll be fun though. It will be fun. And we have coming up just a, you know, a reminder for everybody. We have one more weekend of NWSL play. And then we have the two big friendly tournaments that are occurring. We have the ICC in Portland and there's going to be the women's cup in Louisville. So lots of games ahead, lots of games ahead. Um, and yeah, like I said, seeing some separation from Portland, I think they are the blueprint for, for how they're going to manage the rest of the season. Still pretty muddy on a bunch of different ends. Um, and yeah, just looking forward, looking forward to, to what happens next. What do you think, Pradeep? Are you excited to really get to focus in on the league a little bit more? Yes. I, uh, dividing my attentions is never the most fun thing, but we're, I think we're shaping up for also a really fun period in the NWSL anyway. Like I said, these teams are closer together than they've ever been. Now they're probably going to be, now they're going to be at full strength, obviously barring injuries. So look, I, I'm hoping for a thrilling end to the season with some really wild scenarios for playoff contention. I feel like the league is setting up nicely for that. So yeah. looking forward to it. For sure. Well, this has been probably the longest episode of the Equalizer podcast we've done all year, but that's what happens when you've got a bunch of games. Thank you so much, Pardeep, for joining me. Shout Always out happy. to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy. Shout out to Blue Wire Podcasts, our podcast network. I am your host, Claire Watkins. We will be back next week with just NWSL action.